Welcome to Leading from Alignment, a weekly podcast from Converge Coaching, where our passion is to help you lead better, lead longer, and enjoy it more. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Leading from Alignment. Uh, my co-host, Jim Wiegand, you'll notice he is not with us this afternoon. Uh, we uh, we uh, miss him already because he's such fun on these, uh, on these podcasts. But Jim is busy with some church responsibilities today, so I'll be playing co-host and uh, we have a special guest with us today that won't be a stranger to a lot of you who watch and listen uh, to the podcast. His name is JP Dorsey. JP, welcome to the podcast today. Great to be here, John. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, I've known JP for, I believe, about nine to 10 years. And uh, over time, we've become good friends, uh, learned to love and respect each other. And uh, JP is... uh, has had quite a year, and we're going to talk a little bit about that and uh, and a little bit about his story today, but uh, so glad to have him on the podcast. We're so honored, JP, to have you with us. Good to be here. I'm looking forward to it. I think we're, hopefully we're going to have some good productive uh, discussion here the next Yeah, time. good. I hope so too. So JP, tell us a little bit, uh, whenever we have a guest on, we always want to hear a little bit of their story of how they came to Christ, because we just yeah. find that always fascinating. Uh, would you tell us a little bit about that? How did you how did you come to Christ and uh, give us a little detail of your story? Sure, sure. I mean, the the, the short version uh, really is I'm I'm a Gospel of John guy. Uh, I was walking along minding my own business, uh, which was part of the problem. And uh, I was 19 years old. Um, I ended up in an emergency room. I'd been raised in the church, um, but kind of fam- through through my own selfishness, but also I think some family chaos. Oh, man, by the time I was 12, 13 years old, I was pretty well trucking uh, the other direction. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think the weirdest thing about my my history up to that point at 19 years old was thinking that I had been raised in the church um, up until I was a teenager in the church at least two times a week. And I had never once seriously considered becoming a Christian. It had mm-hmm. never crossed my mind. And, um, I, you know, some people would theologically chalk that up to something and other people would just say, wow, you're, you're not very bright. Probably <laughs> those things might be true. But uh, 19 years old, I ended up in the emergency room. And um, again, not thinking about anything other than the emergency that was happening at that moment. And in the waiting room, I just had a, an encounter with the Lord and, and uh, just very clearly had this sense that the Lord was saying, you know, J.P., you know, if this is it, what, what does that mean for you? And what does that mean for your life? And what does that mean for afterlife? And it really was that simple. I, it was just one of those, oh my, oh my goodness, I have not stewarded my life well at all. And, and I have a responsibility with this life. And, um, and, and at that point, I think I knew one verse. I don't even think I knew the whole verse. All those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be that was, was the it only Jesus phrase that? I knew. I was gonna say, at least it wasn't, you know, something out of numbers or Habakkuk or something. At least it was one that involved Jesus somehow. And um, and that was really all I knew. And mm-hmm. thankfully, I had a wonderful godly grandma that I had watched really love um, my ungodly grandpa. Mm-hmm. And I had a ready-made vocabulary for what it looked like for Jesus to love someone like me and the example of my grandma and uh, a good metaphor for the gospel ready to roll. And, and really it was, it was truly just one of those 180 uh, moments. I was headed this way and, and life just pivoted and, and I'm like, Oh, so if Jesus is something, then he's everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and let's go for that. And everything just changed right then. 
That's so cool. JP, tell us a little bit about like your, you know, so you, you gave your life to Jesus at 19. Um, you've, you've had some pastoral ministry experience, right? And then uh, a, some uh, a lengthy run uh, as the dean of a college, Bible college. Mm-hmm. And uh, tell us a little bit about that. I don't need a bunch yeah. of detail, but just come by high levels. You know, what, what did yeah. you do? When did you get involved in, in vocational work? Oh, man. You know, when I became a Christian, it, it was one of those like, okay, I was wanting to do political science, um, not to be involved in politics, but I was always interested in, in power and how power works in society. Hmm. As I went back to read my books as a new Christian, everything, I was just like, the answer to all of this is Jesus. And I just sort of couldn't escape that. Hmm. And um just felt like, yeah, that's, that's where, where I'm headed is into um, some kind of vocational way of connecting Jesus to our culture and society and to people. Um, ended up serving a very short time. Um, it started as a two week, ended up two months in Belarus, uh, working with okay. Steve, who ended up, um, you know, leading the Bronzeville revival. Mm. Um, and from there, uh, just started to move forward in ministry and um, served as a youth pastor. Uh, and then as a lead pastor, and while I was a lead pastor, really sensed a um, a real sense of call to help train people for ministry. Mm-hmm. And um, in my mind, that was 20 years down the road, but the Lord really had other plans and ended up uh, in Grand Rapids, working with a great church, Grand Rapids First, looking to start really uh, kind of an, an innovative and interesting way of solving some of the challenges that are there for us in terms of training people for the next generation of ministry. I was there for 13 years, served first as dean and then as president there, and just wrapped up at the beginning of May. And um, and now I'm I'm at our home and my wife and I are looking at what's what's next for us in this next season of life. Hmm. So that that transition from uh, the the college to where you are today, talk to us a little bit about that because I I we talk with a lot of leaders who think I, I, it's time for me to transition. And, uh, and all it, all it really is, is they had a bad Sunday, you know, they, <laughs> and, and Monday's been really tough on them, but there's a, there is that there's, there's a lot of movement mm-hmm. with leaders right now. I mean, is, when did you start to get the sense, you know, that God might be leading you into a new season of, of your life? Well, you know, um, I think that for me, I never want to be running away from something. Yeah. Oh, God is never calling me away from something. That that's not how calling works. God is always calling to something. Yeah. And so, if I'm operating out of pain or pressure, um, that that probably is an interior personal problem. And while I was not pastoring for the last 13 years, um, so I get to preach on Sunday and then go home. So my Mondays were great, but. Um, <laughs> But that being said, I had, I had Fridays, <laughs> you know, after the week of class and you go, oh my goodness, you know, uh, leading a school and you have this issue or that right. uh, similar kind of issue. And there are certainly those moments where you're like, this is it, this is the last Friday. But um, I think for me, it really was a question over the last number of years, not an impulsive decision at all. And you and I, you know, journeying with some of that together, yes. you know, I'll be talking about three years of, hey, there's some things that are starting to percolate in my heart. And, 
And my tendency has always been to push those down. I can be interested in anything. I'm a very curious person. Um, I will listen to anybody talk about anything if they know what they're talking about. I, I just love information. Um, so I, my tendency is to push those things down and, and see what continues to come back up to the surface. Mm-hmm. And uh, so for me, where that really hits ahead uh, tends to be it, my wife and I before we're going to bed at night. And she often has a good heads up on what God is calling me to do because it's the thing that I'm, I'm, I have angst about, I'm, I'm frustrated about, I'm, is troubling me. And yeah. that I'm talking about at night. And, and for me, I'm an emotional person. It tends to start to bring my emotions to the surface. I, I get quite emotionally moved by something. And, and so for us uh, in this season, it wasn't so much, yeah, this has been hard. In fact, if anything, yeah, I mean, all, anything we want to do that makes a difference is hard. But it's been a really rewarding season with the college, um, with people that I love doing something that I believe in. So we really weren't running away from something. It really was, okay, there is something inside. And we we feel called to run toward that thing yeah. after a long season of trying to press it down and push it away and make sure that, you know, I just don't, I think God is, is urgent. He has urgencies, but he doesn't have emergencies. Mm. If it feels like an emergency, it's probably me. Um, But if there's this sense of urgency, like there is a problem, there is a something, there is a location, an idea that is just will not go away. It feels pressing and urgent over time. For me, that has a lot to do with calling and how I process things. That's so good. The way we've kind of uh, characterized that is, is not running away from, but being called to. Mm-hmm. Are you running away or being called to? Are you right. quitting or are you finished? You know, there's, <laughs> there's a difference, right, between quitting and finishing. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so I, that's what I hear you saying. And, and, um, and, it, and it's so important because I, I feel like um, many times we're, there's internal work that needs to happen first, you know, before we transition. As a matter of fact, I've had that conversation several times this week already with leaders saying, I don't know whether I need to leave so I can get healthy or whether I need to get healthy so I can leave. And uh, and so there's this tension going on with several guys uh, who, who I talk with on a regular basis. And so appreciate that insight, because I think that will be helpful to people who are listening or watching today. And, and you know, John, something you said is so important. You said, you're not, are you quitting or are you leaving? Are you finishing? I think it's finishing. Yeah. And that was one thing that was incredibly important to me. I think that whether, I, I don't know if it's just the way we've done things or, or what's happened, but it, it has been viewed as acceptable to just sort of be like, I'm done, you know, and, and walk. And um, we communicated with our, our board of trustees in August of last year. Mm. Um, and we started working on a process that lasted almost a year you know, right. of transition and planning, because, you know, the last thing that I wanted to do, and I think the last thing any leader wants to do, and if you're thinking this way, it's a sign that there is desperation involved. The last thing you want to do is look back at, at, at that time you invested there and watch it all burn because we didn't have the patience to finish that last leg. Yeah. Well. And uh, I've seen it too often. It's painful um, personally for us if we have that experience and for others who care about us. And uh, I, I think that's a good indicator. If you feel the need to be like, I'm done, I'm done now. Um, 
that's probably a pretty good sign that that you're quitting. Yeah, finishing. I love that. You know, JP, as you think about the current leadership landscape in the church, uh, I'm sure we could talk about 20 to 30 challenges fairly easily. We could we could come up with a list of 20 or 30. Um, What do you from your perspective? I'm interested. What do you think are the top two or three challenges for the church? Big C in the days ahead? Yeah. Um, like you said, obviously, if we want to pick small things, boy, we could just, we could list out, we could put out the dominoes, but right. um, architecturally, I think that we have um, some significant challenges. Um, and uh, I, I don't think, you know, blame or anything like that is, is the, sure. important, the important part is we recognize them and we start to make movement. And honestly, if I were to put number one, at, at the base level, you have to start because the church is a loop, right? I mean, you you make disciples; those disciples mature, do ministry. Those people make converts and make disciples. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, so we got to jump in the loop somewhere and just start a new loop. So I think for me, the place to start is discipleship. Mm-hmm. And, um, you and I have had this conversation. I think that if we were to, and again, you know, anyone who's listening, it's passionate. This is not a blame thing, but I think we have to be self-reflective and ask, wow, this ministry thing is killing us, you know, and, and, and what about that system is killing us? Yeah. Uh, if we were to sort of line up a hundred of us pastors and say, okay, great. I just want to know, you know, in your church, um, what are the 10 measurable, observable ways that people can look at themselves and know I have reached some level of what I would call mature discipleship? Like, how do I know when I'm a mature disciple? And the pastoral epistles take for granted that we will know that, mm-hmm. that observe that somehow because they need to be that before we put them into leadership roles. So somehow they're evaluating that. And the reality is, is that in the vast majority of our communities, that has slid over to things that are easier to evaluate. There's a good corollary in education here. In education, we, you know, we want to do the fill-in test, right? Because it's super easy to grade but it actually doesn't tell us what we really want to know. The same thing is happening. I think in churches, we've got a little fill in test and it's, do you attend church regularly mm-hmm. to give and do you serve? And maybe in some of our communities, do you attend a small group? The problem is twofold. One that doesn't tell us anything that we really, really want to know that quantifies discipleship. But the flip side of that, that we're now seeing is that new converts who more and more are first generation Christians you know, they're, they're the first one. They pick up what's in the water, that that's what discipleship is. Mm-hmm. Then when they come to church, give, serve, and maybe go to a small group, and they're still struggling, they, they think Christianity doesn't work. Mm-hmm. They want to know why they're still broken, why their, their personal life is still messed up, why their emotions aren't fixed. So I think we have to sit down together. And we have to say, here is what a mature disciple looks like. And let's build systems, structures, self and community assessments that actually help us as an institution and organization and as individuals know where we're at so we can build something healthy and sustainable. I think that's number one. Can I can I can I speak into that just real quick? You know, I told you the when we talked about this particular subject a while back, I told you that within 24 hours of giving my life to Jesus many, many years ago, um, I had a a mentor. They didn't call them mentors back then. They call them sponsors or something like that. 
some old name. And, uh, but this guy took me and six teenage kids who had just given their life to Jesus under his wing for 18 months. Hey, taught us how to walk with Jesus, how to engage with scripture, how to, I didn't know how to pray. He, he helped us learn how to communicate with the Lord, how to, how to share our story, um, how to live in a, in the world as a Christian. We'd go to the rec center and play ball. And, you know, when you go to the rec center with a bunch of guys, it's a perfect opportunity to see if this Jesus <laughs> thing works or not in real life, you know? And, um, I've, I've always felt grateful for that input in my life. And somehow I feel that I was entitled, you know, because that's not the experience. Right. Most new converts get it and it, and it grieves me. Yeah. Um, And I want it to be different. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, you had a wonderful experience. I think that we can even do better. I think we can be intentional. We can be clear, you know, and really know, you know, where we're headed with people. And I just think, you know, that's our job. We're to make disciples. It really just kind of isn't excusable that we don't know what one is. You know, that that's one of those things that we have to work forward toward. If I can like drill down into that, I think there's a subsection of discipleship that I would say is the second area. And that is that we we have to get this marriage and sexuality uh, is actually working well in the church. So that discipleship, I think, actually needs to become uh, somewhat invasive, um, you know, it is the first church was a, was a mom and dad and some kids. And the, the primary locus of the gospel is the family, mm-hmm. not church. The church is there to build families, not families there to build church. I think it's a very important distinction. Yeah, it is. You know, Paul tells us that the mystery of the gospel, the great mystery is a husband and a wife. And, mm-hmm. I think often we have that flow reversed as though families come in and their job is to help perpetuate the ministry of the congregation or the church, rather than asking how do we as the local church genuinely serve and facilitate the discipleship and the sacred space of the, of the family, which is its own small group. I mean, it is the best small group. God designed it. And I think that um, the reality is, is that we've got what stats you look at, something like 80% of evangelical Christians who say they're somewhat dissatisfied with their marriage relationship. That's the thing that God looked at in Genesis and said, that's very good. It's the only very good thing I've made so far. Mm -hmm. Yes. How it's being hurtful and painful and destructive and not life-giving. We have to get that under control. Uh, We have to be intentional about it. And, and I would say, especially in light of the fact that how evangelism is going to work moving forward it's not going to be how it worked. I don't think when when uh, when you and I were younger. I agree. In 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 the the kind of old days, you could convince somebody intellectually that something was true, and once the person believed that, they would walk down that path and make it work because it's true. Mm-hmm. That um, the challenges to belief are really um, profound uh, today, and. If you're going to try to convince someone uh, intellectually, you're going to be playing a game of philosophical whack-a-mole is what you're going to be doing. Right. This generation doesn't ask if it's true. And if it's true, I'll make it work. They say, does it work? And if it works, I'll assume it's true. So when they look into the church and see in the main areas of their life that are falling apart, so their emotional life, their romantic life, and their sexual life, 
if they see that the church is just as broken as they are, the answer is automatically that it's not true. Right. So we then have an authenticity issue, a witness issue. And so I, I think that that those two areas, if we could get much more intentional about discipleship, you know, longer discussion, I think it'll involve of course. Some structure. Yeah. But if we can get much more intentional about that, and, and honestly, we're not all going to agree on what those 10 are or 12 are or whatever. And in my mind, I, the point is right now, we do not agree on any of them because we're not being intentional about it. We got to start being intentional. Then we can start nitpicking about which 8, 10, 12, you know, we really want to build down on. Right. Let's at least start, you know, getting some shift there. And then that core piece of, of marriage and the family, like a, a husband and a wife who don't know how Jesus impacts their emotional life, relational life, and sexual life will undo what the church does in their kids in an hour the rest of the week. Yeah. So we got to get that fixed. And you know, JP, as you were uh, talking about this subset of uh, marriage and sexuality and emotional well-being, it, it strikes me that that we don't hear nearly enough about that from the pulpit. Right. Yeah. And and sometimes when we hear it from the pulpit, it makes me cringe. Um, and and you know, you wonder why are we not why are we not talking about this more? Is it a is it a resourcing issue? Like we, we don't know how to talk about it. Is it a, a is it a theologically or philo, theological or philosophical issue? Like we don't think it's important enough. Uh, but what I hear you saying is, in essence, you know that 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 the marriage really is. I mean, it it is the great mystery, right? And and it's so important. I, I've heard you say before that the most impactful thing a pastor can do in his his or her leadership is to have an amazing marriage, have a, a healthy, great marriage. Absolutely. The great disappointment of life for many people. I've, I've done a lot of weddings. Every single wedding I've done, it's one man and one woman looking doe-eyed at each other. You know, <laughs> I'm standing right there in their face, their, their hearts, their minds full, full of dreams and anticipations about what the future will look like. And then reality hits. I think marriage is the great disappointment for many people in their life. And when they look in and they see a ministry leader who, um, not for show, not now we're just right. our spouse, but who authentically has learned to experience Christ in the context of their, their marriage, emotionally, relationally, and sexually, people are just like, okay, that's, that's what I, that's what I wanted. Right. Tell me about that. And when the good news is, is you can't talk about marriage without talking about the gospel. It is the mystery of Christ. Yes. Yeah. You know, you kind of get a two for one there. And, um, you know, John, I think another, and, and, and again, we have to be self-reflective about this, but another reason we may not be talking about it is that yeah, our ministry marriages aren't, aren't so hot. And so we feel oh. inauthentic or yeah. we feel ill-equipped or ill-prepared. And, and, and that's a challenge that we have, that we have to deal with. We can't just ignore it. There is no such thing as a great church without great marriages. Mm. That's not a thing. And I think we, to, to say that this is a great church without it genuinely impacting the marriages that are in that church is false. That mm. is that's so powerful. And, I, you know, I know we're closing in on time here. I wish we had another hour. 
because there's, so, <laughs> there's really so many other things I'd like us to talk about that I think would be valuable to uh, our listeners and watchers. But let me let me just ask you one more question. I know we had a series of other questions that we wanted to get to, but maybe that's for another time. Yeah. Um, the leadership talent pool. I'm concerned. It yeah. seems it seems to my uh, to my eye to my anecdotal eye. I'll, I'll say this is anecdotal yeah. um, that the talent pool seems to be shrinking, and I'm concerned uh, at, a, at a, a lot of levels with that. Um, I'm, I'm I'm assuming you're concerned about it. I I don't want to put words in your mouth. I, first of all, are you concerned about it? And then, what do you think? If you are, what do you think we can do? What are some but I, and, and that's not a fair to ask you to answer that question in three minutes, but, you know, at least give us some thoughts about maybe what we can start thinking through and getting our arms around with this. Yeah. I mean, one, obviously, you're absolutely right. Um, when I was serving at the college and we really were designed to serve really our, our district, the state of Michigan, mm-hmm. um, even in the state of Michigan, uh, even with uh, a growing student body, I would say we could have placed five times as many graduates as we had. Mm. Um, and so you are absolutely right. There is a deficit there. I think that, I think we have to ask a few questions. I think one we have to ask is, um, is there a reason that people don't want to be in ministry? And I think that um, the answer to that maybe is yes, that um, in this season of ministry leaders becoming more honest and transparent about how difficult ministry can be, um, that we have unwittingly put out a sequence of flares to the next generation to say, beware, this is not what you want to do with your life. (laughs) Now, the answer to that isn't to stop being honest. The answer to that is for us to get better at building sustainable, healthy ministry. Yeah, let's get healthy, right? <laughs> That's right. That's, the answer isn't to lie. <laughs> the answer is to get healthy. Um, uh, so I think that's that's one thing we can look mm-hmm. at. Another is, I think that, and this is this is my view, um, you know, uh, John, if you don't agree with this, edit this part out. So if you see there's a big gap here, you know I've been silent. <laughs> no, I'm going to kid him. Um, I really think that we need to think seriously about how we prepare people for ministry. Mm. Um, I think that we need to take a, a whole person approach that is intellectual, that is emotional, that is theological, that is you know deeply spiritual. I think we need to be sending out whole people. The demands of ministry are are intense. They're profound. Mm. You support trauma fatigue and you know all kinds of other things. And I, I think that the idea that we're going to take someone and not develop them emotionally, relationally, spiritually, intellectually, and then send them out um, is, is flawed. And I would say, and I, I say this gently, but I would say, I would say it's almost abusive. I, I think the idea that, that we're just going to take a bunch of people who are unprepared, throw them at the wall and see who sticks yeah, there's an irresponsibility about this, but it goes back a little bit to the discipleship conversation. Yes, we have a conversation about what makes a person a person who can be a healthy, long-term, productive, effective ministry leader, and let's let's actually sit down and develop a set of criteria 
And I don't, I frankly don't care whether it's a college or an internship program or whatever. Sure. That's the point. That the point is, do they have these qualities that will help them be effective, build things that are long-term healthy and themselves be healthy and whole when it gets done with it? Because God isn't using people to fulfill the ministry. We are his ministry. Mm-hmm. Like using pastors to get other people to himself. We are the people that he's bringing to himself. And it flows out of that abundance. I, I think that the idea that ministry leaders should be suffering and unhappy and, and emotional martyrs is deeply flawed. I do too. And, I, and so, yeah, I, I think we've got to address, like, let's let's make it so this is something that people actually want to do. And and JP, I getting healthy is doable. Yes. It's, it's, it's doable. We can actually do that. It, yep. And John, my, my wife is sitting right here. <laughs> you know, I, I came to Jesus at 19 years old from, you know, my family were first generation Christians. So there was like 50, 50 heaven and hell in our house, you know, like <laughs> it was really good. But when it got bad, it went, uh, went down one south fast, you know, and so my, we had a little, we had a little cuss chucking in our thing, you know, with people who uh, threw things and, and used choice language. So mm-hmm. when I, when I, when I went into ministry, I had no framework of what it looked like to be healthy for the long haul. So you are absolutely right. If someone will sit down and say, I, I just need to be honest, this is not who Jesus made me to be. Right. My family is not experiencing the gospel. My kids are not experiencing the gospel. I'm not experiencing the gospel. Like my, my life is worse because of what I'm doing in the ministry. Like that's an okay, honest conversation to have with yourself. And I would just say people don't need to be afraid of it because it, it you are not unfixable. You're not unhelpable. Right. And I, I am testimony to that. Me too. Back and looked at my early ministry, I'd be like, man, who is that guy? What is his problem? You know? And and the truth is there were real problems. It wasn't a big spiritual battle or warfare. There were real structural problems. Right. And when I changed the structure, I'll be the result changed. Yeah. But I had to change the structure for it to actually start changing me. I had to be intentional about that. So you're right. It's not not unfixable. Right. And so I'm hopeful because of Absolutely. that. Absolutely. That- that we can actually uh, move the needle in, in, a, in a good direction. Well, JP, you know, again, I wish we had more time. Thank you so much for carving time out to be with us. Uh, if you are listening or, or watching uh, today and um, you want to talk more about these subjects that JP and I have, have uh, pushed up on, one of the best ways to do that Jay, uh, is for the, you to go to convergecoach.com and click on the contact us link. And you can write in the form saying, "I, John, I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to JP or, um, you know, but we want to, we realize that 30 minutes on a podcast isn't going to solve your problems. But what we would really wanted to do today is get you thinking and, and maybe even give you some hope that, um, that the challenges you're facing in your home, the challenges you're facing on the inside of you, the challenges that you're having at church and leading a church, leading a ministry, um, that there's hope and there's and there's practical help available to you. And so we're here for you in that way. JP, uh, hopefully uh, you'll come back at some point down the road and we can just sit and rap more about life and leadership and all of that good stuff. Anytime, John. Anytime. 
All right. So thanks again to our watchers and listeners. Uh, we hope that today is an encouraging day for you. And uh, we want you to know that we're rooting for you and we're praying for you as you continue to lead from alignment.